0: Oh yeah, dismiss the kids to Glow and Ignite. I didn't forget in the first service, but I forgot in this service. Glow and Ignite, kids, you want to head out. Thanks. Well, good morning. Good morning. Yes, there we go. As all of this uh, activity happens and the children leave, I just encourage you to uh, pick up your Bible, uh, open it to the Gospel of John and Chapter 1. Our text for this morning will also be on the screen. if you uh, don't have a Bible and need one, there's uh, one for you at the Welcome center. You can pick it up after the service. keep it. be great this morning. we're going to look at uh, verses fourteen through eighteen of John chapter one, which is a most appropriate passage for the week of Christmas. Can you believe it? This week is Christmas It's amazing. Are you, like are you excited or yeah, good, good. Can anyone tell me what day it is today? Ah, I heard a lot of K. Yes, today is the 21st of December. Yes, today is a Sunday. And yes, today is winter solstice. So at 7.29 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time on Monday, September 22. I did my research. The sun crossed over the equator going south in an event known as fall equinox. From that point until today, December 21, our days have been getting darker earlier and staying darker later. And it all culminates today, which is the shortest Day, light, and the longest night of the entire year, the one day in the calendar that we will experience the least amount of sunlight. So today, something happens that makes uh, human beings look outside at the darkness and say, That's as bad as it's going to (laughs) get. From here on in, it can only get better. Monday will be brighter. The 23rd will be brighter, the 24th will be brighter, and on down through January, February, and into spring, and the coming months will be brighter. Light has started to increase. Thank goodness. Now for thousands of years, most people around the world, regardless of their culture, regardless of how barbarian they may have been, have always chosen sometime around December 21 to have an enormous celebration. Darkness is over. Light has started to increase again. We have made it to this point. We've managed to get over this hump, and now it's time to celebrate. So I don't know if you read the Vancouver Sun, but I found an article which is from Thursday's edition, December 18th, in the Vancouver Sun, which contained, um, there was an article in there that outlined the best events in Vancouver during Christmas between December 18th and twenty four. So tonight, according to the Vancouver Sun, there will be one of these events, the Best of Vancouver, which is called the Winter Solstice Lantern Festival. I stole a picture from the website and it's on the screen. Apparently tonight, the perimeter of False Creek, very similar to our sanctuary here, you see lights that that go, basically go around the perimeter of the sanctuary. We've got lights across the stage and all the way across the balcony and back down the stairs Tonight the perimeter of Falls Creek will look something like this and it will appear as a necklace made of light all the way around the creek and there will be celebrations all around it in Yaletown, Granville Island, and Chinatown. There's a celebration tonight that darkness is over. Light has started to increase. Now the Roman Empire celebrated this. In the year 274, Emperor Aurelian declared December 25 a special holiday to commemorate the birthday of the unconquered sun. In Latin, it's Sol Invictus. And guess how he had it celebrated? They decorated evergreen trees, exchanged gifts, did a lot of feasting and singing, homes were decorated with greenery and lights, and they were particularly kind to poor people on this day the same kind of man who had put christians in an amphitheater to be attacked by lions celebrated this time of the year almost exactly as you and i would celebrate it then there was the germanic uh, peoples tribes whom the romans looked upon as bar- barbaric as they kept coming further and further south and eventually sacked rome and the other barbaric tribes from up north, Norway and Scandinavia, they also appreciated that December 21 was this turning point. A few days after December 21, the Norsemen had a great big celebration and what do you think they called it? Any guesses? They called it Yuletide. They hung mistletoe. They cut down trees and burned whole logs, known as Yule Logs. They did it as an offering to their gods, the Norse gods, one in particular named Thor, who was the god of thunder and lightning. Practically every nation in the world for thousands and thousands of years has celebrated at this time of the year in some fashion the dawning of light, whether it be through mythology, folklore, pagan ritual, or Christian tradition. Christmas. Christmas was first celebrated as the birthday of our Lord Jesus Christ, somewhere between 325 and 350. And when Christians were looking for a good time to celebrate the birth of Jesus, they looked at what everyone around them was doing, the Roman Empire, the, the, the tribes from up north, the Scandinavians, the Germans, what they were doing. That time of the year when everybody was celebrating something, And they said, why don't we just choose that day to celebrate the birthday of Jesus? It was a natural thing to do because if there was ever a time that the rest of the world would feel comfortable celebrating something, it was then. So, while there is nothing intrinsically wrong with most of the secular and even pagan components that Christians have incorporated into the celebration of Christmas, even down to the very time of year and day we celebrate it, it is imperative that the people of God keep in very clear focus that which is critical to Christmas. As good and as meaningful as most of our traditions and celebrations are, I mean, I enjoy them, as beautiful as the decorated evergreens and gingerbread houses and hanging lights and mistletoe, and yule logs in the fire may be, and as tasty, this I really appreciate, and as tasty as the turkey and the mince pies, and the we had a discussion about mince pie last night, about mince pies and cookies and chocolates and mandarin oranges and nuts and candy and cider and hot chocolate. (coughs) Sorry to do this to you just before lunch. As tasty as that all may be, And as important and as good and as biblical is the expression of our faith through giving gifts and showing extra concern for the poor. We must not. We must not reduce Christmas to a one-night celebration around the fact that light has started to increase after the winter solstice. Christmas is a celebration that the darkness of sin, the penalty of sin, is over. That the introduction and increase of the light of the world, the light that gives life to all men, Jesus Christ has dawned. Isaiah wrote about this, which is picked up on by the Apostle John, which we're going to get to in a minute, but Isaiah, way back in chapter 9, prophesied, nevertheless, There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This, friends, is the foundation of Christmas. And this is which the Apostle Paul turned his attention to at the very beginning of his gospel. And I'm going to go all the way back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. (laughs) In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light that shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And what comes next in the Gospel of John as we continue our series in this book, what comes next is the essence of Christmas. Because these verses tell us exactly how and why this light of the world, the living word of God, Jesus Christ, came to dawn upon the creation that he illuminates and saves. And so let's pick it up here in verse 14, which is our text for today through verse 18. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. You know what that word glory literally means? It means brilliance. It means brightness. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out saying, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace we have received one blessing after another for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. And here is the very first and the most critical component of Christmas, and that is this. God put on skin. The Word became flesh. Jesus Christ became flesh. God literally put on Skin. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He emptied himself. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found... In appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. A man by the name of Scott Cairns said this, My only rule, if you understand something, it's no mystery. Friends, the incarnation, the word became flesh, is truly one of the great mysteries of our faith, isn't it? How very God could and would and did by his spirit come upon a lowly young virgin maidservant named Mary and be physically born into the world that he created in the same form that he designed in Genesis chapter 1. Human flesh. In the lowliest of circumstances and in the most unlikely of places is truly beyond comprehension. Necessary because sin can only be atoned for in the flesh, but still very much beyond comprehension. Someone once said, God walked down the stairs of heaven with a baby in his arms. Now to help us fathom just how incomprehensible and how condescending this really is, you see, God didn't just descend To us, he condescended to us. To help us understand this a little bit, I want to do two things just now. The first is to show you a brief video clip, three minutes, from Francis Chan called The Awe Factor of God. And the second is to read just one of the many biblical passages following that up, which describe, uh, Melissa read Isaiah 44 this morning. I'm going to read a bit of Isaiah 40, which describe this mighty God that both the prophet Isaiah and Mary herself, the mother of Jesus both declared this mighty God to be Jesus himself who condescended to put on the weakness of human flesh
1: just watch the video first of all this is the earth okay just, just, you're taken off from the earth from southern California and we're going we're to rise up for a little bit here we're going to pull away from it. We're going to pull higher. Now this is at about 10 kilometers. Like if you climb Mount Everest, this is what you'd see. You'd see the curvature of the Earth from that distance. Now you're going to, we're going to climb up even higher. This is at 100 kilometers. And you're a fourth of the way to the space station now. This is what you'd see. If you get to this level, you're considered an astronaut. Just If you ever get there. Okay, now we're going 100,000 kilometers. 100,000 kilometers from the earth. You're a fourth of the way to the moon. That's what the earth would look like. Now we're going to pull away to a million kilometers. At a million kilometers, there's the moon. Okay, there's the moon. You can barely see the earth. You're at a million kilometers now. You're past the the moon. And uh, now we're going to go to 100 million kilometers. 100 million kilometers. You're still not to the sun. The sun's 93 million miles away. But now we're going to go to 10 trillion kilometers. There's the sun. You just passed the sun. Now you would see all of the planets at 10 trillion kilometers. And now we're at 10 to the 15th power. That means 10 with 15 zeros. I don't know what that number is. 15 zeros. And the sun's just like a bright dot amidst other stars. And now we're going to 10 light years away. At 10 light-years away... Come on, let's go. Zoom, there you go. 10 light-years away. Now you just see the sun with like 11 other stars that are kind of its neighbors. You know, that that, that that's our sun. And now we're going to go 1,000 light-years away. At 1,000 light-years away, you, you wouldn't even see our sun anymore. These are just a bunch of stars close to it in this cluster inside the Milky Way. Now we're going to zoom out even further... And that's the Milky Way we live in. See that cluster of stars? Those are about 100,000 stars that are closest to our sun. You can't see our sun anymore at this point. Now this is our Milky Way galaxy. And Forget about the earth. Okay, there's our Milky Way galaxy that we live in. um, And we're just buried in there somewhere. And we're going to pull out even further. And you'll see that our galaxy is actually... It's it's a big galaxy. And... uh, And all those other things you're seeing now are galaxies. And we're going to pull away 10 million light years now. His next scene is 10 million light years. Those are all galaxies you see amidst our Milky Way, several hundred galaxies. Now we're going to go 100 million light years away. This is the last one. We're going to zoom out to 100 million light years. Those are all clusters of galaxies. Galaxies and clusters of galaxies. You won't even see our Milky Way galaxy anymore amidst that. We don't have telescopes that go beyond that little sphere there. That's
0: as far, that's as, far as telescopes can see. And it is the mighty God who created all this that condescended to take on skin so that he might do what he did. The prophet Isaiah wrote about comfort to the people that their hard years of labor and their sin would be paid for, that humans are frail, they wither like grass, and the sovereign Lord, like a shepherd, comes along to shepherd them and to give his life for them. And then he says this, who, Isaiah 40 verse 12, who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand, or or with the breadth of his hand has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He, this mighty God who condescended to us, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He he sits higher than those telescopes can see. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of, of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Mary said of Jesus, this is the Holy One, the mighty God, the same one that Isaiah prophesied about. It is this God, God Almighty, that put on skin that we might be saved. In Christ, deity meets humanity. As John wrote, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. The eternal mighty God full of glory, grace and truth, said John, greater than Moses, greater than the law, whom no one had ever seen has now been made known. God in the flesh. The word, the same warrior word of God is described in awesome detail in Revel- Revelation 19 became Flesh. I want you just to imagine for a moment in, in something that we can understand. Imagine Queen Elizabeth. You know how, how regal Queen Elizabeth is, you know? She's prim and proper with her crown and her jewels with her worth like a gazillion dollars and her sash and her robe and her gown. Imagine Queen Elizabeth setting aside, setting aside all of her regalia and leaving Buckingham Palace to take on the form of a worm to free a colony in England of enslaved worms. Such imagery doesn't even begin to compare with what Jesus did when he put on skin. Now, I'm not saying that we are worms. Jesus who created us and his image came to save us, that's how much value we have. But what I am saying is that what God did was drastic, incomprehensible. What I am saying is that what God did is what Francis Chan calls crazy love. <laughs> it's crazy. Absolutely crazy what God did. One way my small mind begin can begin to understand the incarnation, God became flesh given my agrarian roots, my farm background, <laughs> is to think about a procedure on the farm called calf grafting. Now, we're in Chilliwack, so some people obviously have heard of that. Who, who knows what calf grafting is? Well, I'm going to explain it to you. You see, when a cow, uh, particularly a beef cow, not, not a dairy cow, they're different, when a beef cow delivers twins, A surrogate mother usually needs to be found to keep one of those calves, the weaker one, alive because a beef cow usually cannot produce enough milk for two calves. So a cow that delivers a stillborn calf is is a perfect candidate because she is ready, she has milk. And here's how it's done. As soon as a calf is delivered, stillborn, Before mama cow has a chance to turn around and smell and lick her calf dry, that calf is immediately taken over to a twin and it's flesh, it's afterbirth, it's all of the fluid is put onto that other calf and it's just rubbed in. And that calf then is immediately taken and brought to the cow that just gave birth and that cow will smell and lick and accept that calf as if it were her very own. And if this procedure is not followed, that weaker twin would be rejected by the surrogate cow and would likely not survive. The flesh of the calf that gave its life makes acceptance with the mother possible so that a life can be saved and a life can flourish. And you know what? When I think about what Jesus did, it's very similar to that. When we accept Christ, and as the scriptures say, we clothe ourselves with Christ. He who took on flesh and then sacrificed his own life on the cross, makes acceptance with God the Father possible for me, for you, so that our lives, your life, can be saved so that we can flourish. God will not reject us because of Christ, because of what he did, because he sacrificed himself to to atone for the sin that keeps us from relationship with God. And oh, I I wish we could talk all morning about God became flesh, the word became flesh, but... We must move on. So John 1 verse 14 continues, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God, first of all, put on skin, and secondly, God moved in. God moved in. I I like the way Eugene Peterson paraphrased this in the message. He said, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. Uh, In our married lives, which is almost 25 years, Uh, This coming spring, Marcy and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage. And and all of our kids are here this morning too. This is awesome. We have moved 11 times. Now, here's the thing. Nine of those 11 moves took place in the first 10 years. (laughs) So we understand what it means to move into a new neighborhood. One of our most extreme moves was from or the most extreme move was from the very, very rural 250-person village of Borden, Saskatchewan, to the very metropolitan and proper and multicultural city of Richmond, B.C. I don't know if the kids remember this. Jessica probably does, but our kids' first day at their new school, that September, was probably more so for for me and for Marcy than it was for them, it was near traumatic. It was culture shock for us. Kids don't seem to notice it quite so much. We had never experienced such a thing before, ever. And you know, since those days, almost 15 years ago, we have had the privilege and the joy of traveling many parts of the world, and our kids have too, including places such as, among other places, India, Peru, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, a bunch of other places, and, and we now better understand how different other parts of the world can be from ours. But back then, we thought we had landed on a different planet. We didn't know where we were or what we had gotten ourselves into, to be honest. And had it not been for both Caucasian and our Chinese friends alike, many of them who remain good friends to this day. Our kids had a lot of great Chinese friends. If it wasn't for them, we may not have been able to bridge that huge, huge gap between the world we left and the world we found ourselves in in the year 2000. And that gap, my friends, between Borden and Richmond or between Chilliwack and India, for that matter, that gap pales in comparison to the gap between heaven and earth. God's dwelling, his neighborhood, which is so over and above and way beyond what we even saw in the video, infinitely beyond what any space telescope can photograph. His neighborhood is so far removed from our reality that the only way we could ever make sense of it was for Jesus Christ to put on skin and move in. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And then John wrote, we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. And you know, later on in the book of John, chapter 14, Jesus gives us a brief description of his neighborhood, his dwelling, which is our future residence. And his disciple Thomas just couldn't wrap his mind around it. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus replied to Thomas. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one moves into my neighborhood except through me. If you really knew me, said Jesus, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That which we was from the beginning in 1 John, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, with, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this, said John, to make our joy complete. Jesus became flesh and moved into the neighborhood because one day, friends, his desire is for us to move into his neighborhood. It's where he wants us. Do you have your bags packed? Do you have the truck booked? You see, he came to bridge that gap to show us the Father, to prepare us for this new reality, a new culture that we could never, ever begin to comprehend otherwise. God moved into the neighborhood, is called Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which means God with us. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote, He came down from heaven, can almost be transposed into heaven drew up earth into it. And locality, limitation, sleep, sweat, foot sore weariness, frustration, pain, doubt, and death are from before all worlds, known by God from within. The pure light walks the earth. The darkness received into the heart of deity is there swallowed up. Where, except in uncreated light, can the darkness be drowned? Emmanuel, God with us. God needed to experience our life our neighborhood, all of our pain, our sorrow, our struggle, our heartache, our temptations, all of the darkness that you and I could possibly face so that he, the sinless Savior, could bear it on the cross and bridge the gap between his world and ours. And all I can say to that is, wow, wow, that is amazing. And so I end this morning with this third critical component of Christmas. Not only did God take on skin and move in, but God, number three, remedied sin. He remedied sin. John wrote in, there in our text this morning, from the fullness of His grace, we have received one blessing after another. Jesus Christ, very God, so thoroughly permeated with grace, has extended to us grace upon grace. That's what other translations uh, interpret and translate this passage to be. Grace upon grace, favor upon favor, kindness upon kindness. We have received one blessing after another. That which which we do not deserve, a full and joyful life, the forgiveness of sins, and and the promise and the hope of life everlasting, he made possible when he remedied sin upon the cross, when he set right, rectified, resolved, and repaired the most undesirable and impossible situation, which was all and only made possible when he took on skin and moved into the neighborhood. He bore it in the flesh on the cross of Calvary. That, my friends, is the fullness of his grace. Which is described in full by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. The blessings we have received because of the fullness of the grace of God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that though all the glory and the majesty and regalia of heaven in the very throne room of God, belonged to him, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And Paul said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He made himself poor. He emptied himself, taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even more. He condescended and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Get this. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. That, friends, is Christmas. And my question for you and for all of us this morning is, have you bowed your knee before this Lord? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life? to the glory of God the Father. Have you embraced the light of the world, the light that shines into your darkness? Has the light dawned in your life this Christmas? It is my prayer that none would leave this place this morning without kneeling before the Christ, even as the Magi and the shepherds did so some 2,000 years ago. It is my prayer that Christ, the light of the world, would shine brightly upon and in your life, that his light would dawn and permeate your life with his grace upon grace. That you would personally experience his unmerited favor and kindness freely given to you in the Son that he loves, the Son that he gave to us. It is my prayer that you would be able to, as the Apostle Paul wrote, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, this is Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I don't even know where to begin. Truly what you did is so beyond comprehension that you would love us so much that you would condescend to us and do all that you did to literally take on human flesh and show us what the Father looks like. And then in the flesh, bear our sin, my sin on the cross. Lord, all we can do this morning is is to respond and to say thank you for doing that. Thank you that we can be saved. Thank you that you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your light. But Lord, we do not deserve this. We do not deserve this grace upon grace, this kindness upon kindness, but we receive it today. We receive it this Christmas with thankful hearts. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here this morning who has not bowed the knee before you, who has not submitted to your lordship. You are mighty God. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help them to respond, that they too might experience your light shining on their life, hope, life, and the hope of eternal life. Would you do that today, God, by your spirit?